Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 here in just a few minutes. Uh, But I'm starting a new sermon series this morning, and can we have the house lights uh, come up, please? Um, I'm starting a new sermon series this week on the book of Mark, and so we will be in this book for the next 54 weeks. Now, I want to just kind of start off and say, how many of you are committed to being here for every week for the next 54 weeks? Amen. Wow. Wow. I should probably just stop preaching right now. Um, But this morning, we are starting a new sermon series on the book of Mark. Uh, It will be a 54-week sermon series uh, because I want us to look at this gospel and to truly understand what this gospel lays out and the implications of what it is. And so if you'll commit to those next 54 weeks, you will know the book of Mark and you will live for Christ better. Amen? Amen? So who's ready to be here for the next 54 weeks? Okay, good. All three of you guys. Uh, are we related? Because I'm pretty sure my family's going to be here. Uh, but this morning, when we start this, I want to say kind of a thank you to Pat uh, for speaking uh, last week. That gave me a little bit of time uh, to put together. I don't know if you've ever put together a 54-week sermon series. It takes a little bit of time. And so that allowed me to be able to do that. He did a fantastic job. Uh, he invests in our students in a great way. And I'm thankful for him being on our staff and being willing to work and do what God's called him to do. Amen. If your students aren't involved in our youth ministry, why? (laughs) The best place for them is to know and learn more about Christ. And so I would challenge you to involve them there. um, And we would, it would just benefit them so much and benefit you as parents also. So have you ever started something new? Anybody like to start something new? Uh, How many of you are really good at starting something new, not finishing it? Okay. How many of you are good completers, but don't want to change anything and don't want to start anything? Okay, good. So we have all types. Uh, but when you think about starting something new, how many of you have started a new job at some point? Okay. Hopefully all of us in the room, uh, maybe if you haven't worked a day in your life, maybe I need to sit down and talk from you and learn from you. But uh, a new job, when you think about getting that job, now in the old days, the way that they used to do this is they would open up the newspaper And they would close their eyes and they would look at this big cluster of jobs and they would take their finger and they would point down towards that job and they would go, okay, Lord, which one do you want me to have? And they would put their pointer finger here and then they would look up and they would go, oh, sweet, president at Gulfstream. So they would go to the other, wait a minute, is there more presidents than one? They would go to the Gulfstream and they would say, hey. God has called me to be the president at Gulfstream. And everybody around would look and say, we've been waiting on you. What is your experience? What do y'all do here? Do you have a degree in aviation? No. Have you ever flown on a plane? No, I can't afford that. But yet you're going to be the leader of Gulfstream as we know it. Congratulations. Right? No, we don't do things that way, right? If we're going to start something, we're going to research it and know what we're getting into. If you have ever gotten a high leadership job or a job in leading others, I was reading an article this past week that kind of discussed some of the things that you should do or would do if you got that job, right? Because Google tells us how to live life and how to do everything these days. And so imagine as I was reading this article, it said what to do if you got a new job. The first thing that you do is you request and use resources that are already in place. 
You look around and you evaluate what your job scope is, what you can do, and you begin to utilize those resources. The next thing you do is meet with your manager, the person that's in leadership with you, and ask them, what are your expectations for me in this position? Now, the next thing that you would do is listen and write down questions. Man, make sure that you are fulfilling the job requirements to the best of your ability. Then you would review the tools that you have at your disposal and begin to look for other areas that you can use them. Then you would look at the organization structure and make sure that everything's running efficiently and everything's doing things the right way and identify areas of improvement. And the last is that you would introduce yourself to your team. Because once you get to your team, you need to know what you're going to do and what you're going to say and what you're going to share with them. So when you think about a new job, you don't just dive into it and go, hey, let's all figure this out together. Let's see where it goes, right? You do a little research. How many of you have ever started a new diet? Now, this isn't conviction. I'm not calling anybody out. Anybody ever start a new diet? Man, Do you look around, and listen, I I had a a fatal flaw in research. Uh, I tried to find where skinny people eat all the time. Still haven't found it. And I've eaten with skinny people, and they eat more than I do. And I don't understand it, and I don't like it, and I'm going to ask God about it when I get there. Uh, But when you think about researching a diet, you begin to look around, and you say, all right, how did you lose weight? How did you do this? How did you accomplish this? And you begin to look out. And if you're going to take on a new diet, you understand the diet and you understand the rules. How many of you have ever uh, done intermittent fasting? Okay, where you can't eat for a certain amount of time. Uh, Yesterday, I was doing intermittent fasting. I was supposed to go 14 hours, uh, but because the softball practice went long, I went 19 hours and I ate three fingers, right? So like sometimes it goes that way. But when you think about it, you study and make sure that you're following the rules. How many of you have had a diet where you had to eat at the certain time? Setting alerts, making sure that you're eating, making sure that you're eating the proper foods at the right time. How many of you have never been on a diet? Okay, get out of the church. Sorry, just kidding. We love you guys. But this is for the husky individuals like myself that have to work on this. Um, when you think about if you, how many of you have started a new hobby? Okay. Uh, for me, it was wakeboarding when I was uh, young and in shape, and I used to love to wakeboard. I was thinking about those days this morning. Now it would kill me to even hold on to the rope, or if I tried to flip, I'd probably just lay under the water buried at the end. But me and a friend of mine and a couple friends of mine used to go every Saturday morning at six o'clock, catch the first sunrise, catch the, the water when it's super calm, and we would wakeboard for three hours. As I was sitting there, I was thinking back, and I go, man, to tell you how early on we invested in this, he bought a boat, but he didn't buy a truck to pull the boat. And so we were the only ones at the boat wrap with a Crown Vic pulling an 18-foot boat with all this weight in it on the way out. And I'm thinking, go, man, the hobby, we didn't really think through all of it. We had a boat and we had wakeboards and fat sacks to weigh the boat down and all of those things like that, but we forgot to buy the truck. So maybe that was my responsibility and I just forgot. Uh, But when you think about this, you put the time into it. But let me ask you this, in the way that you're living your life, have you ever considered, maybe I should be doing it a little bit different than what I'm doing? Maybe you've kind of come to this conclusion that you do things the same way and you're getting the same results. And listen, the definition of insanity kind of flirts with this, that you continue to do things the same way, expecting different results. Maybe... 
There's an area of your life that needs to change and you've kind of given up. You've said, you know what? I don't, that's just how God made me. That's how I'm going to be. Nothing really is going to change. So I'm just going to do me. I tell you, but there's many, li- many lives around us, many people that are living life around us that are unhappy, unsatisfied, and miserable in the way that they're living. And I tell you that because we have a responsibility to help them know what it means to live for Christ. And I tell you that because it's time to live for Christ the way that he has called you to live. Look, the reality is before we even get into this book, and Mark will address it in his opening statement, the reality is that for a really long time, Christians have lived partially Christian lives. The areas that are easy, we do. The things that are a little bit difficult for us, we just kind of push off and maybe we'll get to those in our 90s. So I want you to understand when Mark writes this, he writes this in a way that's pretty impactful. So my challenge to you is that over the next 54 weeks, as we study this book, as we study who Mark is and why he wrote this and how he wrote this, when you come to a place in scripture that challenges you to live a different way, make the adjustment in your life. Don't look at it and go, oh, that had to have been for the Bible times, people. No, it's for you and I today as we look at this. And so before we dig into scripture, I want you to look at the writer. Who is this Mark, better known as John Mark? He is the proposed author of this book. And if you look at the gospels, none of them actually have a by Mark or by Matthew or by Luke. It's assumed that this is the individual. And so that's why they named the book, the book of Mark. So when you think about this, was Mark a disciple? Look, for some, we don't even know really the answer to that question, but here it is. Mark wasn't a disciple. He wasn't somebody that was known for walking with Christ. He learned about who Jesus Christ from a guy named Peter, one of the disciples. He was actually considered Peter's writer. He would write down and put things in print as Peter said them. And so he knew who Jesus Christ was through the life that Peter lived. When you think about this, he is labeled as the first evangelist. He is the first one that is considered an evangelist. What is an evangelist? An evangelist is somebody that goes out and tells other people about who Jesus is. The whole crux, the whole understanding that Mark looks into is so that people would know who Jesus Christ is. So I look at his writing style, and I'm not an English major or anything like that, but I want to know how he writes and why he writes. When you look at Mark, it's the shortest gospel. So uh, imagine if we were to take on the book of Luke, how long that would take, or the book of Matthew, just for us to get through the genealogies that are in the beginning of this book. But Mark is that guy that cuts straight to the point. Now, how many of you are that guy that doesn't, no frills, nothing fancy, just here it is. That's me. Look, I don't like to tiptoe around things. I just like to go straight after something. He doesn't sugarcoat. He doesn't add fluff. He's a direct writer. Look, the reality is that Mark is the only gospel that excludes proper names. He said, I don't care about your proper name. I care about what we call you. 
Now listen, every once in a while, people find out that my name is Jeffrey. Now, some people will say Jeffrey, and I'm like, who's that? My name's Jeff. Sometimes people will call me Pastor Hubbard. Well, if you don't know, Pastor Hubbard is my dad, and I look around like I'm in trouble. Pastor Jeff is usually what I'm called. When you think about this, he excluded all of the proper names, and he said, here's Jeff. Look, he is not considered a scholar or a theologian, and it's safe to understand that he was an average individual just like you and I. But he knew Jesus. His technique is something that I really love, and it, it, it's from a literary feature. It doesn't take place in any other book in the Bible, but he uses what's called a sandwich technique. Now, I know I just said sandwich in church, and you're thinking, man, I'm hungry, okay? Not talking about a literal sandwich, but here it is. He will start a story, begin the story, and then interrupt that story with another story. And now, look, Mark may be the first diagnosis of ADHD, right? He, he's here, and he's here, and he's going back and forth, but re- reality is he takes those two stories And then he ties them to a single point. And you go, oh, it makes sense. Look, if in reality, Mark is so abbreviated in the majority of what he does, he probably started TikTok back in the days. Short video, short video, short video, short video, short video. This is how he writes. This is what he does. And so let's dig into Mark chapter one and verse one, the beginning text This is how he begins his gospel. When you think about it, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Luke, and John actually begin their book with the birth of Jesus Christ. Mark says, I think, I feel like we got that. Let's move past that. Let's get to the crux. Let's get to the main part of where we are. And so in his introduction, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Now imagine this because he lays out the framework and you're not supposed to start a book with the beginning. He says, hey, I want you to understand the most important, the origin or the principle of beginning, the thing that is of greatest importance is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, this is where I want to start. I want everybody to know this singular thing. The gospel defined as the good news of Jesus Christ. So as he begins, his starting point is very clear for him. He wants you and I to know about Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons that he's called the first evangelist. So the starting point today for us is this. Do you know the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here is the good news that comes with this, that Jesus loves you, that Jesus cares about you, that he died upon the cross for you. If you understand this from a theological perspective, Mark is keying in on the fact that under the old covenant where people would take sacrifices and they would do things to be in good standing with God, he's saying that is now done because of what Jesus Christ has done. He says, we are in this new age, this new covenant, this understanding of what things are to move forward, that we are now in Christ. So the starting point for us in this gospel is Jesus. Then he quotes and he references. 
In verse 2 and 3, it says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way. Now, when you look into this, you understand that the reference in verse 2 is from two passages of Scripture. In Exodus chapter 23 and verse 20 and Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, they quote that there will be a Messiah that comes. And he says, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare you. But before that Messiah, there's going to be somebody that prepares the way for him to walk in. That rolls out the red carpet, if you will, when Jesus comes. And then the reference to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 is in 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness prepares the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. When you begin to understand what Mark is trying to convey is he's saying, hey, there was a man who came before Jesus and he pointed everybody towards him. So I love the further understanding that prophecy was fulfilled and everything was fulfilled in the way that God called it to be. Mark is saying, hey, don't just take that from Jesus moving forward, but understand the Old Testament told us that this Jesus would come and that he would come in this fashion and that somebody would prepare the way for him. So I love in verse four, we begin to see who this person is. Who is this individual that's going to prepare the way for Jesus Christ to come on stage? How is he going to do it? What is he going to say? And Mark captures exactly how he fulfilled this. In verse four, it says, John appeared. Now we know that as John the Baptist. And he was baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now listen, this is very unique and very different from the way that they baptized previously. Baptism up to this point was more of an exterior cleansing process. So imagine this, if you study Jewish custom and you study Jewish time period, they would have different bathing pools. So you would go to somebody's house and you would go into their outer bathing pool and then you would move into their interior bathing pool and then you would move to the next bathing pool and then you would move to the inside the house and finally you would be clean. Can I ask you a weird question? How many of you are people that make people take shoes off at your house? Okay, good, there's a few. How many of you don't care? How many of you are asleep? <laughs> good. When you think about this, if I were to invite you over to my house and I would say, hey, man, I'm so excited for you to be here, but I'm going to need you to take five showers before you get in. And I'd go, hey, take this one and take this one because this is a little bit cleaner and this gets the dirty off, this gets the cleans off. But by now, you could actually walk in after you've taken the shower. Anybody ready to come to my house? John was very simple in how he baptized. And he said, I'm baptizing in the forgiveness of sins. I want you to think with me because there is a world that's around us that needs forgiveness, that need to be forgiven of their sins. John is pointing the way, saying, listen, you can be forgiven of your sins. 
the same preparation that Jesus Christ would fulfill and the same things that he would do. Now, let me ask you just in a real moment for just a second. Have you ever done something wrong to somebody? Have you ever gone to them and had to apologize? Listen, this has happened maybe like once, one and a half times in my life. Just kidding. Where I've had to go to somebody and apologize. Listen, before you do that, you're in the back of your mind, you're going, are they going to receive this well? Are they going to forgive me? Are they going to accept my apology? Or are they just going to relive it and blow it up in my face and I'm going to have to walk out? John the Baptist was sharing a message in two places to tell them that if they would come get baptized, their sins would be forgiven. What was taking place was this revival in this land. So he says, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Listen to the response. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. Now imagine this because, and they were confessing their sins. They would go to John the Baptist, they would confess their sins and he would say, you are forgiven. Imagine that all of these lands were going out to the wilderness to be forgiven. Now, for me, I look at it and I go, man, this must have been a charismatic guy. This must have been a guy that just knew how to captivate an audience, knew how to draw people in. He knew how to take care of things. Can I describe the guy to you? Verse six. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. Now, can we just pause for a second? I, I like a good camel hair jacket better than anybody. Okay, I put one on last week and couldn't afford it, so I put it back. But uh, imagine, you go, Wait a minute. Camel hair is weird. Can we just agree there? Have you ever smelled a camel? It's not pleasant. You go. So you, can you imagine them describing, hey, where do you go to get baptized and be, rep- and be able to repent from your sins? Oh, go find the really smelly guy in the wilderness that's got camel all hair all over. What? <laughs> Further, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt. That is the only thing that me and John the Baptist have in common. He wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, Can we just agree that people that eat locusts are weird? Man, I didn't know that was going to be a tough agreement. (laughs) But when you think about this, you go, wait a minute. He should be captivating and caring for people and just 
This dude is strange. Why were people going to him? Because they could be forgiven of their sins. Listen, for some of you that think that you can't share Christ with anybody else, you're completely incorrect. What was his message? He said, listen, I know that your sins are being forgiven, but there's one that's coming. And he says in verse seven, and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and even untie. He says, the one that's coming, this Jesus, this Messiah, he is the one that I am not worthy to even bow down and tie his sandals off. Or untie his sandals. He says, here's the distinction. Here's the clarification of me and him. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that we still seek a little bit of solace in the woods. And for those of you that hunt, you go out there to kind of clear your head and clear your thoughts. For some that go camping, they want to get off grid and just get, which I don't understand because you have a perfectly good house. When you think about it, you go, man, for some that go hiking and you hike to a waterfall or hike to a place, hike to a surrounding or an area just to see a view to capture the beauty that God has put on display. It's crazy that we still do this. And I love the clarification of what John the Baptist was saying. He said, listen, I baptize with water for repentance and the whole, and God get, or Jesus Christ will give you the Holy Spirit. So let me clarify a little bit theologically for you for just a second. Because when we do baptism, we do it in a way that reflects what Jesus Christ has done in your heart and in your life. And so when you are buried and put down and you go, man, buried in the likeness of Christ's death, this means that the old person is put away, that you are now saying, I am going to live for Christ. I'm going to be a new creature in Christ. I am going to fulfill and live for Christ in a different way. Listen, the reality is the Holy Spirit does not come in at baptism, but when you've placed your faith and trust in Christ. So there's clarity within this passage of scripture. One of the greatest gifts is once we have placed our faith and trust in Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and direct us. So when you think about this, and when you understand that John the Baptist was a little bit strange, dressed funny, ate funny things, he was a loner in the woods, we need to be a little bit okay with being weird. Some of you, that comes more natural than for others. Listen, I want the world to consider me weird. Man, it's weird that you don't say the things that I say. It's weird that you don't kind of take part in all the temptations that are out there. It's kind of weird. We don't even really invite you to those things. I want to be considered weird for living for Christ. 
for not partaking in what the world has to offer us. I want to be considered a little bit weird because I strive to be holy in everything that I do. To be set apart from this world. And in doing that, we live in a way that points towards Jesus. We talk about water versus spirit. Water baptism is that religious ritual for cleansing. But spirit baptism lays out the understanding that when we get baptized now, it's a picture of what Christ has done in our heart and in our lives. So when you accept Christ, he gives you the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. But baptism is that public profession of what Christ has done. So let me captivate you for just a minute. How do I grow from this book? How do I read the book of Mark and how do I begin to understand this? How do I grow from this? What's the purpose of it? Why is all of this put in place? So let me start with the word that he starts with, with begin. The first thing that I would ask you to consider is to begin a relationship with Christ. Listen, for the longest time, you may have been trying to fulfill this and trying to do this your own way, and you're coming up continually empty, continually without hope. I would tell you that the first step in this, the beginning point, is that you would place your faith and trust in Christ. From somebody that has done this when I was 13 years old, it's amazing to me to see how far the Lord has brought me since then. But for some of you, you may have already placed your faith and trust in Christ. And for some, that beginning point may be that when you read the book of Mark, it is a new commitment to Christ, to live for Christ. Maybe for a long time, you, you've been content with just knowing Christ, but you, when it comes to the areas that you come into scripture and find out that you are supposed to change things in your life to look more and more like him, you've given up. For some, it may be a commitment to genuinely live for Christ, a commitment to know Jesus and strive to live like he did. But there's others of you that are fulfilling and living for Christ. Maybe your opportunity is to become an evangelist like Mark. Maybe when you read the book of Mark and you understand and you see the things that are laid out, you look and you say, man, this is something that I can share with somebody else. It's interesting that he can only write this because he knew Christ because Peter shared it with him. And I ask you, how many of the people that you're around on a regular basis need to know who this Jesus Christ is and you won't share it with them? Look, we have the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the thing that can change our hearts, that can change our lives, and we keep it to ourselves. And I don't know why. The first thing that I would ask you to learn from this book and is to begin. Man, begin something. Look, begin to live for Christ. Begin to place your faith and trust in Christ. Begin to disciple somebody else. Begin to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
Listen, for too long, the church has been content with receiving and receiving and receiving and receiving. It's now time for you as the church to give the gospel to others. Second thing that we can learn from this book is to be a little bit weird. Look, there's a picture of a guy named Amu Haji. This is the dirtiest man in the world. He has not taken a shower for the last 65 years. He's 85 years old and lives in Desga in Iran. He smokes animal dung instead of tobacco. Look, I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> his skin is scaly and muddy. You can barely see his eyes, and you can only imagine what this guy smells like. When I said the words, he hadn't showered in 65 years, how many of you smelled something? It's interesting that the reason that he lives like this is because of his belief that cleanliness brings him sickness. You talk about committed to a cause. This guy is committed. Some of you thought it was hard to get your kids to take a shower. Imagine this guy. Listen, can I comfort you this morning? I'm not asking you to be this weird. Can we praise the Lord for that for a second? But I am asking you to be bold in your faith. Be willing to live for Christ no matter what the outside world thinks of you. Be willing to take a stand. Be willing to live for Christ when everybody around you isn't. Be weird for the gospel. Last thing that I want you to learn over these next 54 weeks in grasp is how to point people towards the gospel. Look, one of the the, the lost and dying arts in the church today is sharing the message of Christ with others. We've taken this approach where we bring him to the paid professional and he can do it. The reality is, as much as I love sharing the message of Christ, I don't know the people that you know. It comes more effectively when you share the gospel with them, when you tell them what Christ has done in your heart and in your life. Will you spend your life striving to tell others about Jesus? So let me close with this thought. The title of this sermon is Making Room for Jesus. Now, in a world where you make room for a lot of different things, have you genuinely made room for Christ? Now, can I just be honest with you for a second? I'm typically one of the really neat and organized guys. Like if you go to my refrigerator at home, I like things put together in a certain way. I put things in the dishwasher in a certain way. I like things organized. 
Do you know where the most disorganized place in my life is? The lift-up armrest in my car. Anybody have a junk drawer? I mean, you just, where does this go? My wife and I were riding in my car a couple of weeks ago, and she was like, Jeff, we got to clean this out. I was like, why? Man, we went through there, and my car is relatively new. I didn't even, I just carried the old stuff and put it in there. Can I challenge you for just a minute? The same way that you're not willing to clean out your garage, or the same way that you're not willing to clean out your junk drawer, is I think sometimes the same way that you're treating Christ. Sorry, man, this thing's, this thing's full. There's no room for it. And I tell you, it shows in the community that you're around. And that person's always busy. They're always doing something. They're doing their hobbies. They're living life to the fullest. And the reality is the world around you is saying, why are you doing what you're doing? So I ask you this morning, make room for Christ. Over these next 54 weeks, there's going to be some points where you got to clean out the junk drawer a little bit or lift the lift up in the car. There's, there's times where you need to just kind of pull some things out and push them to the side. Look, the reality is on Wednesday nights when we start Awanas and we start a Bible study for individuals, you need to declutter your life a little bit. Oh, I can't do that. And listen, if the excuse is anything other than spiritual growth, it is not as important as Wednesday nights for us. Listen, my daughter plays, uh, travels softball competitively. My kids have been involved with sports. But Wednesday nights are for spiritual growth. Look, That's the commitment that we should make as Christians. Look, if you have students in youth ministry that are not involved on Wednesday nights, they need to be. You go, Jeff, you're you're just trying to build up a new program. Can I tell you, if, if I'm honest with you, do you know what I do right now on Wednesday nights? I ride with police officers. Look, I'm going to give up that so that I can invest in people spiritually. I'm going to ride on other nights, which means this is going to take another night away from my family. The reality is this is what God's called me to do. It's not like we're trying to make things easier and do less for you. Reality is we want more for you. We want you to grow spiritually. Listen, as we look over the book of Mark, Can you imagine if Mark was like, hey, Peter, that's a really good story, but I'm good. Because of Peter's ministry, because of Peter being close to Jesus Christ, because of Peter knowing who Christ was and Peter fully living for Christ, Mark changed his life. If you look further and you see the ministry that Mark was a part of, he actually traveled with, uh, with Paul and with Barnabas. He's actually the cousin of Barnabas. When you begin to look at the areas of what he lived in, he followed 
the, the ministry and he wanted people to know Jesus so much that he left the comfort of his own home, but he gets to a point and we really don't know why, but we know that Paul was frustrated that John Mark left the missionary journey. Mark's not a perfect figure, just like you and I. But the area that he got right was knowing Jesus and telling others about Jesus. So as we close this this morning, will you begin to make room for Jesus in your life? If you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I tell you, that's the first step. If you're here and and you've never really gone through discipleship, you've never really grown in your spiritual walk, that's the next step. Look, sometimes I look back and I take for granted that I grew up in a pastor's home and that I was at church all the time. I'm a second generation pastor, went off to Bible college, got a master's degree in theology. And sometimes I look around and I go, man, why don't people know what I know? When you look around at this crowd, 30 to 40% of this church is first-generation Christians. They don't have all the Bible stories that have been taught to them from kids. So it's time for us as a church to invest in that and to help those folks genuinely grow in their relationship with Christ. And some of you guys that are knowledgeable in your relationship with Christ need to begin to invest in others. Are you willing to be a little weird for the gospel's sake? Look, I am. I got little mermaid socks on today. I can prove it. My daughter's picked them out. I don't mind being weird. Are you willing to be a little weird for the gospel's sake? Are you willing to begin to share the message of Christ with those that need it? If you stay with us these next 54 weeks, I promise you, you will be prepared to tell others about Jesus Christ. Will you make room for Jesus in your life? If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. The worship team is going to come forward and close us out in a song. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe it's one of the first times. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard about who this Jesus is. Maybe you've heard it many times. You've never fully submitted to Christ and you've never asked Christ to come into your heart and in your life. Today's that day. Maybe you're here. And if you look back over the last year and the last five years of whether or not you have genuinely grown in your relationship with Christ, and the answer is no. I'm telling you, Mark is about to lay out an understanding of what it means to live for Christ, what it means to share with others. Maybe you can't remember the last time that you shared the gospel message with somebody else. It's something that 
is so far removed that you haven't even thought about how to do this in such a long time. Maybe God's calling you to be an evangelist. And I tell you, over the next 54 weeks, he's going to challenge you to share that message with others. So listen, as your pastor, Gary mentioned it earlier, and the first service is beginning to kind of really take on its own shape and it's growing to about 75 to 85 people on a regular basis. This area is beginning to grow. And so listen, when these people walk into this place, they need to know Jesus, they need to see Jesus, and they need to know his love in everything that we do. Look, stop wasting your life with hobbies and jobs and all these other things and truly do what matters most. Dear Father, I come to you humbled and thankful that Mark started at the beginning of what's most important, your gospel. We're thankful that you used a guy in the wilderness that's kind of strange and kind of weird Lord, that people went to him because they understood it wasn't about the person, it was about you. That there's a lost and dying world that around us that needs to be forgiven of their sins. I can't imagine the weight that they carry on a regular basis because they don't know that you died on the cross for their sins. Father, may we as your children be genuinely convicted to tell them about your love. Father, help us to be a little weird for the gospel's sake. Father, please help us to make room for you in our lives, that you would be the key and the center point of everything that takes place for us. Father, we love you and we praise you this morning. Christ's precious and only name we pray, amen. If everybody would stand as we sing this last song, just a beautiful, simple song. This altar is open to you. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ and you wanna know Christ. Listen, I'll be sitting right there. I'd love to spend some time talking to you about it. Maybe you're here and you've known Christ, but spiritually you haven't grown in the past couple years. You just wanna commit and say, God, I wanna know you more. Maybe you're here and it's time for you to share the message of Christ with other people that are around you. I challenge you, take some time and pray as we sing this song that you would be the evangelist that God's called you to be.